Welcome to the Raw Talk Project. My name is Ainsley. I'm from central Queensland and have created this space to share and bring to you raw conversations with a wide variety of inspiring everyday people. We have all experienced the highs, the lows, the tough and the successful events life throws at us. For that, we all have a unique story to share. When you stand and share your story in an empowering way, your story will heal you and your story will heal somebody else. Welcome to another episode of the Raw Talk Project. This week's episode is with Matt, a very close brother of mine. He's going to share his journey from becoming a school teacher to playing high-level hockey and most recently his battle with cancer. Thank you so much for joining and allowing us to hear your inspiring story. Matt, would you mind telling the listeners a little bit about yourself? Um, my name's Matt. I'm 31 years of age. Um, I'm pretty lucky to call uh, Ains my little sister, and um, I feel quite privileged to be on the Raw Talk Project. Avid listener, always on the drive homes or drives to work, and you got that 15, 20 minutes to kill in each direction, and um, no better way to, to listen to Raw Talk. And um, I, I think it really gives me a boost um, of a morning or an afternoon and, and get to listen to everyone's heartfelt um, stories and it really hits pretty close to home and yeah really really privileged to be on the on the show sharing my journey I guess and and my life so far. Do you want to go into the two degrees that you studied at uni to begin with? Yeah so um, probably growing up through most of my high school I just always wanted to, wanted to be a physiotherapist and um, probably as I juggled my so-called sporting career as a 15, 16, 17, 18 year old I, I sort of reevaluated my future career aspirations and I knew, always knew I wanted to be in some type of sporting environment so I, I started off um, after graduating school uh, went into an exercise and sports science degree um, at Central Queensland University um, managed to do that for my first year as a full-time student and then for my second third fourth um, and finally fifth year I was an external student with that, so I managed to live live in Brisbane, um, playing some hockey and try, and try and live up my dreams of hopefully one day playing for Australia. Unfortunately, that didn't really go the way I would have liked it to, but um, everything is there's a reason for everything, and I believe um, I'm content with where I'm at now in my life. So I finished my exercise and sports science degree, and I had a little bit of um, work experience with the Central Queensland Capras in my final year of my sports science degree, and sort of really, really did enjoy that that space. Didn't know really where to go after finishing my sports science degree, so I decided why not go into the education space, and um, definitely, obviously, someone so close to us, Ains, was granddad. Um, who was a teacher for a good 40 plus years um, and is always a great role model in my life and um, that sort of persuaded me down the the teaching career so I went back to university um, only for I think it was about nine months or just under a year to complete my postgraduate degree in education in secondary education um, and that was all the way back in 2015 and I um, was fortunate to have some really good influences in my life um, in Rockhampton with that good shout out to Brad Weaver and and Michael Rose I do believe they are still kicking around the school um, traps in Rockhampton and yeah so they had a big influence on my journey as a pre-service teacher and um, unfortunately I couldn't pick up a job in Rockhampton at the time in in the Catholic school setting and um, I made my way to to Brisbane and just sort of worked for there for three months and then I was fortunate enough to move my way to Mackay. Um, and I've been here since 2016 and still loving every minute here. 
I know Grenda would be so proud of you and the teacher that you are today because it is such a tough gig and I could only imagine the hours, the experience and the things that you have to go through on a daily basis as a school teacher. My hat goes off to you because there's only certain people that can do these jobs and you're definitely made for it. Did you want to explain, I guess, a day in the life of a school teacher? Yeah, well, usually it's sort of up half past six, seven a.m. in the morning, and do the daily routine to the coffee shop just to caffeinate you for the day ahead or the the craziness ahead with very like-minded um, students of today. Um, I am really grateful to teach and share my experiences and and make um, the student's journey through high school as enjoyable as possible. And I guess that's that's one thing I really pride myself on as as a teacher is um, give them lifelong memories and lifelong experiences that will they'll keep with each other for the rest of, the, rest of their lives. So um, yeah, a, a general day in my books would be anywhere from three, four, um, or five classes in a day. So that's generally a five five period day. Usually a little bit of mix there between sort of the younger students to the older students between both of my faculties. So I'm a physical education teacher, probably you alluded to that earlier, and that's probably a, a fitting sense for myself. Um, and also a bit of a weird combination, I do take a fascination to business as well. So I did study a one year um, of accounting degree to to qualify to be a business teacher. So, yeah, day to day basis there is yeah a little bit of content in a classroom combined with some sport, um, and then generally yeah most afternoons, especially in the first three terms of a year, of of course involves um school sport. And as I said before, um I look back at my time at at high school and was very fortunate to my teachers there who gave up their time countless amount of hours to provide those sort of extracurricular opportunities for me and yeah I look to do that do that myself so yeah generally sort of 7am till 3pm will be the classwork and then after school it's either rugby league training or rugby union training or assisting with some type of sport and then a few years ago I, I did hang up the hockey boots so we had the the hockey program still running at school as well that I used to work with the kids on a two two day training basis and then also on a Saturday morning so yeah, sort of going back a few years now, yeah, Monday to Saturday was quite busy in my work life. What would be the hardest part of being a school teacher? I guess without really alluding to too much information, it'd just be the the mixture of students in today's day and age that you have to cater for in a way, I guess. So we probably cast our minds back to when we were at school and participating in physical education classes and like all the kids really, really got around uh, a physical education setting like love being outdoors and I guess that that stereotype you could speak is is slowly eroding to a degree and I mean you may have 20 30 kids in a class and you may still have a handful that yeah would prefer to sit under a tree or um, be sick for that day or not have their heart etc and I guess that's that's probably one of the most upsetting things that I, I do see is that, yeah, kids just don't enjoy physical education anymore. And I guess, yeah, technology probably, not probably, definitely has a big um, impact on that. So pride myself on on trying to find a little niche way to include all students and to make them feel um, as if physical education should be a huge part of their lives. Um, and I know both you and I and even our, our family, even still now, yeah, massive sport fanatics, no matter what sport. So um, that's sort of my philosophy, I guess. Definitely. It's crazy to see the shift, I guess, over the last five to 10 years from when we were 
even longer when we were in school and you thrived for the days and you're excited for the days to be going to school, to be running around with your mates, playing whatever sport it may be, to now it's totally different kids, I suppose. I don't know why the shift has happened, but the interest isn't there anymore. And I guess that also flows into grassroots sport as well outside of the school. So, you know, not as many kids these days are playing the sports that we all had exposure to growing up, whether it be, you know, hockey or cricket or football or soccer, um, swimming, all those kind of things. Uh, yeah, they're slowly dying away now, I guess you could say, because everyone's lives are so busy. The parents are 100%. so busy working and trying to make their way through life, paying their bills and so forth, that there's now no time left for these kids to have any extracurricular activities outside of school, um, which is so sad to see. And I wish there was something more that we could all do to allow these kids to have the opportunities that we had growing up. I mean, we are very privileged that mum and dad did absolutely anything possible to make sure that we never went without, that we never missed sporting trips. We always got to trainings on time, even though, you know, like mum and dad had one car growing up. And I think that was the norm back in the day where mum would drop dad to work and pick him up and take us to hockey training and then taking us home, feeding us, and sometimes going back again later at night for a second yeah, training senior for seniors. Training. Like I think that's shifted a lot now because people work and they work massive long days and it's expected because that's how they make ends meet. And, yeah, I, I don't know. It's crazy because also the other sense is most workplaces harp on about the work-life balance, but mm. is there that work-life balance that they talk about? I'm not too sure. I mean – I'm very lucky yeah. that I have that work-life balance and teachers may also do it too, but you also spend a lot of your outside time doing things for the school, whether it's coaching, sporting teams or planning lessons, et cetera, that you barely have time for yourself. So I can also see it from that, that other perspective that kids aren't having that exposure to sports, so they're not interested and they would much rather, like you said, sit under a tree or somehow escape the lesson for the day because they've somehow magically forgotten their, their hat. What would be the best part about being a school teacher? Um, probably like the get it moment. So like the light bulb turning on moment that you see um, it may be yeah, from a student finally receiving the grade that they have been dreaming of for the last few years or um, a student who has struggled with a particular content that you've been going through and then you have sat down with them for countless hours and they finally grasp the the content that you're, you're covering in that particular lesson or that particular unit of work. Um, that's probably the the thing that really hits home for me is just the ki- the kids do have a drive and when they're passionate about something, they, they'll stick at it forever. And I'm a huge believer, as I alluded to earlier, is that I like to sort of be that, that fun and engaging teacher and, and make lifelong memories. And that's probably the best part that I really enjoy about teaching is is the light bulb moment where a student might complete an athletics event for the first time or jump their particular height in high jump or throw a javelin there further so they've ever done in the last three years of doing athletics in HB, for example. So, yeah, that, that's probably one thing that really hits home for me is is the light bulb moment for the kids. And probably another thing that's really hit home for me lately and um, as we're probably both aware is there's just countless amount of like emotional support um for some of our kids these days and yeah obviously us growing up you sort of just heard about a murmur here and there with a few of your um students in your grade but um some of these kids go through some tough stuff and to see some of my kids turn up to school on a day-by-day basis and and keep 
continuing to smile and have a crack at it, that's probably probably one thing that really brightens my day as well is that, yeah, yes, I may have gone through some difficult times or go through some difficult times or have that bad day where you're like, man, I just can't can't deal with today kind of thing. And to see some of the kids still turn off to school with a smile on their face and having a crack at their education, um, that's one thing that yeah, keeps my passion for education going. Does it ever make you wonder that maybe they're turning up because they get to see you every day? I'm not sure. I hope I do have that impact on on some kids and that's definitely definitely something that I pride myself on. And I know lots and lots of teachers um, try and see themselves as as a role model for the kids. And um, yeah, I mean, some kids might get sick of my silly dad jokes of late or um, might be sick of me um, trying to um, push them a little bit further than what they're used to but outside of their parents or guardians or carers at home like we see these kids most of the time so yeah definitely I'd hope that um, I do brighten their day and um, really make it enjoyable for them to come to school. I wish I had you as a teacher I guess growing up because I mean I did have some really really great teachers but yeah these kids don't know how lucky they are to have such a passionate teacher like you it's incredible yeah, Matt like you should be so proud and I know we all are so proud of you as well yeah thanks Ains. um did you want to go into a little bit about playing hockey growing up so obviously we yeah hockey we're hockey, very freaking mad family weren't we <laughs> um about when you when you obviously started playing hockey and cricket yeah I think we obviously the sporting um journey obviously began as young four or five-year-olds down um, at the Calca Shades hockey fields um, in Rockhampton. We're in the old gold and red Park Avenue colours. And yeah, before we knew it, it was sort of like into that sort of 10, 11, 12-year-old age group where you're playing your first representative teams and you're starting to train a little bit harder, training a few more sessions a week. And then before you know it, you're sort of in the backyard still working on your one-on-ones with dad, um, as you mentioned earlier. And breaking, and breaking his jaw. Yeah, breaking his jaw and breaking fence palings. And I'd love to know the amount of hours that um, our father has put into our sporting um, endeavours over the last 30 years, you could say. Yeah, growing up in Rockhampton, it was, it was pretty um, enjoyable. I think hockey was really, really popular. Um, we had some really, really close f- friends there. And one of them today, Sam, still talked to on a regular basis and still my best friend for life. And we sort of grew up through those teenage years and playing in your Capricornia teams and very fortunate to be picked in Queensland um, hockey teams and Queensland school sport teams and yeah you sort of get to that 14 15 year old age bracket I guess and you then you sort of go oh a few years away here if I, I keep training hard and working hard at it you who knows we could be wearing the the green and gold and I guess that from a young age around that 12 or 13 that was definitely definitely my goal was to finish high school and hopefully move down to Brisbane and do your sort of time there and then hopefully you, you're good enough to to get the journey over to Perth in Western Australia to, to join the Academy of Sport. Cricket obviously was a big sport in our family as well and probably the, the biggest memories for me was in the backyard of Grandma and Granddad's house dressing up in your, your cricket gear and probably the pads were probably up to about my chest or shoulders back then when I was a young sort of seven, eight-year-old. But yeah, granddad and dad would be throwing tennis balls and cricket balls at you. And yeah, the love for the game sort of continued right through until sort of that 15, 16-year-old age bracket. And then I guess you sort of got to that 
crossroad in your sporting journey, I believe, where you sort of had to to weigh up the options. Would would I continue with playing cricket in the summer or hockey in the winter? There's no way you could really fit both um, with the way the hockey um, training was progressing. So I think I got to that about 15, 16 year old age group and decided to give cricket a miss. Um, and then hockey was sort of a 10 or 11 month round um, journey each year for sort of five, six years straight. How old were you when you did your first knee? Yeah, so it was year 12. Yeah, just after my 17th birthday, we went to Darwin for under-18 nationals and still like to tell this story because, yeah, we just had a two-week tournament and won gold. I think we got back on like a, a Wednesday or a Thursday back into Rockhampton and yeah turned up to hockey on a, a Saturday and was still a bit sore and sorry for myself and halfway through a game I was just running the ball and went to step right to left and felt like my whole knee had come out from underneath me and then yeah sort of got carried off the field and yeah had never really been through any serious injuries at that point in time went through your standard scans and checkups and yeah it was sort of that that nervous weight sort of with what dad had been through in his sort of mid-20s and with his two or well, in three knee reconstructions of sort of in the back of my head like oh no this could be a could be a torn ACL here and yeah we got the unfortunate news that um, I had a complete tear of my ACL ligament in my right knee and some severe meniscus damage so that was sort of the crossroads I guess in my hockey journey so a 17 year old hopeful of obviously continuing on to under 18s the following year and um, obviously missed that and yeah I sort of had to reassess things so being the positive and hard-working person I am I started that rehab went in for operation about August of year 12 and it probably worked out a blessing in disguise so I was able to really just focus on those last few assessment pieces in year 12 and finish off on the right foot so managed to um, have the whole following year off hockey pretty much right up until October November of the following year I was fortunate to to be back running and jogging and back full-time um, participation in, in sport then. So um, that would have been October 2010. I was sort of back on the hockey training paddock um, sort of year and two months after. Trained in Rockhampton for those two or three months. And then January of 2011, I, I made the big decisive move to to move out of the household where mum and dad and obviously yourself and, and Jared were and um, make the move down to Brisbane to sort of have final crack at progressing my hockey career and how did that go yeah so loved love my time in in brisbane and um hopefully one day um in the future i can get my way back down there and maybe potentially involve myself in the hockey scene or or, or the sporting scene in general i just think it's just an absolute hub hub for sport and just the resources and and the facilities down there are just second to none um so yeah, I ended up playing my first year with a few of my friends um, from regional Queensland. So there's a few Cairns boys in my team there um, from Valleys. Um, so started my first year there at Valleys and played played first division down there. And um, yeah, it was a real eye opener to sort of mingle with the best of the best in the state. And as you know, Ains the the Brisbane hockey players, especially on the representative scene, were always the ones that were just the the pinnacle. Um, of the hockey scene so you all always wanted to, to be like them and train like them and be as good as them and to finally have that opportunity to to play against the best of the best probably one of the things I look back on and go yeah I, th- I thought I held my own um, when I did have the opportunity to play two whole years in the Brisbane Hockey League. Do you want to go into then obviously your, your next knee reconstruction? Oh 
yeah, I thought that would have been the end of it. So, yeah, had two years, 2011, 2012 down in Brisbane. And, yeah, was still at that time juggling my exercise and sports science degree that I mentioned earlier. Um, and just thought now was probably the time to move back home and really crack down and finish my uni degree. And that's, I guess, where I was at that crossroads, that sort of 19 to 20 year old age bracket where I was sort of like thinking, oh, I probably have missed the boat here for potential Australian selection and sort of having that knee injury set back. And I guess where we all come out at some point in our lives, had to make that decision. Um, so yeah, moved back to Rockhampton 2012 and yeah, got through pretty much a season or nearly a season of hockey unscathed. Um, managed to do my other ACL this time. It was not so much my fault. A goalkeeper was going one way, I was going past him the other way, and as you can imagine for the rest of the story, when one force goes against an opposite force, it doesn't end too well, and all I remember hearing is the crack of my left ACL this time. So as soon as that happened, after my prior experiences about three years earlier, I knew that I'd done my ACL this time, and yeah, this time we sort of had a bit of a wait time. I think it was about three or four months um, that we had to wait to get into the surgeon, Dr. Myers, down in, in Brisbane to get my second um, knee reconstruction. And yeah, all the rehab by now was pretty familiar um, after my prior experiences. And um, I think I was back in about eight months. Um, I played my first hockey game. I started back in in second grade for Wanderers, just playing fullback, sort of 10, 15 minutes a game. And then by sort of September... I think four to six weeks later, I was back being my usual self, just going all guns blazing on the hockey field. Did you want to tell the listeners a bit about your journey now um, with the Mackay Cutters and the Host Plus Q Cup? Yeah, well, like obviously, yeah, through the school um, setting, I sort of put my hand up sort of eight, nine years ago to just coach like a year seven, eight team. I didn't really know too much about football. I mean, I played through what years five, six and seven and through primary school. And then I think I might have had the odd training or two um, in high school, but then sort of like, nah, no way. Like look at these St. Brendan's boys we're playing against on a week by week basis. Um, yeah. So had a little bit of football background as a youngster, um, sort of just playing that on the school, school sporting front. Yeah. And then fast forward through to, to me moving up to Mackay and being a teacher and coaching some school teams and sort of involving yourself with some people with a lot more experience than you and um, managed to to plot my way along and eventually work my way up to coaching our Opens team for a few years and at cricket one day and huge shout out to Michael Comerford um, who is now the Mackay Cutters um, HBC coach and going into his second year. Um, I sort of shouted out to him um, when he was working as assistant coach back in 2022 with the Cutters. I said, hey, I've got a little bit of interest in in rugby league, would you know if they have anyone sort of doing the stat for um, your games on a week-by-week basis? Would that be something that your coach would be interested in? And he said, oh, yeah, mate, leave it with me and had a good um, chat to the coach. And, yeah, Dave Elliott was was happy to have me on board and gave me a sort of a, a volunteer role um, for all the home games and um, really enjoyed my time and just being there in the, in the coach's box and seeing what goes on game day sort of gave me a little bit of an itch and it would have actually been this time last year that received a phone call from the operations manager Kim Williams and he said uh, hey mate just going to ask you a bit of a question we thought you really got along with the boys well this year and our manager for this year is actually moving down down to Brisbane next year would you be interested in being manager and I said oh I actually had uh, my hand up to to help the under 16 cutters team as an assistant coach and I was sort of happy to just stay in that sort of teenage years and 
I had to think about it probably overnight and I said, why not? Um, you've got nothing to lose. And yeah, it sort of took a, a different thought process in, in where my career could take me, I guess. And um, was, yeah, just fortunate this year to be at a training two or three days a week and getting to travel away. And yeah, I was very, very fortunate to be given the opportunity last year. And yeah, we're looking forward to an improved year and 2024 and pretty excited to, to continue that learning experience and um, involved in the semi-professional scene. So exciting and I'm sure it's something that you're looking forward to for next year and a lot of work obviously that you have to put in outside of your regular um, Monday to Friday job as well. Did you want to explain the tough journey that you went through during COVID lockdowns yeah, um, with your with your battle with cancer yeah so I guess this sort of you could say segues into sort of me wanting to go out of my comfort zone and sort of pursue a few different interests and, and keep myself busy um especially when that Mackay Cutters um, manager role came up I, I thought it'd be something good to, to keep me busier and keep my mind off things and sort of um, just always stay busy and and I know you know what I'm like Ains I 100 miles an hour and everything I do and that was sort of the best way that I found to to move on with I guess my cancer scare that happened um, back in sort of end of September of 2021 it's just over two years ago now how did it come about I remember receiving the phone call from you and my stomach had dropped it was I reckon that would be on par with one of the worst days of my life I could only imagine yeah. for you yeah, it was a it was a whirlwind. Um, it was actually on school holidays. Um, my lovely or well, now wife Maddie and I were back visiting mum and dad in Rockhampton, and September's probably one of the best times of the year to to head over to probably dad's favourite place, Great Keppel Island. So we went over there and had a bit of a snorkel and a swim, and I got changed into some new clothes. Like obviously, wet jocks on a sandy beach is probably not going to be um, too ideal, and. As I put a new pair of jocks on to get changed, I was sort of like, holy crap, that's huge. Yeah, one of my testicles was was literally the size of a kiwi fruit for those at home. A lot of a size comparison difference to my other one. And as soon as I saw the size difference, I sort of got back home to mum and dad's and Rocky and had a chat to, to Maddie and sort of like, shit, this is not right. And then eventually grew the courage and went and had a chat to the old boy, to dad. And yeah, before we know it, I was back in Mackay. I think we just left the next day and... I went straight to the doctor and I guess as you probably know, Ains, I, I had those thoughts going through my head like sort of knew what was what was going to be expected and the doctor was really good and had a check over and he he sort of, without saying it, um, I gathered from his body language that he sort of knew what was going on and sent me for a scan at one of the local scan places and yeah, within the next, I think, 24 hours um, had confirmed that I had testicle cancer. What was dad's reaction when he told him, knowing that he had gone through the same type yeah. of cancer in his mid-20s? Yeah, I think he, he felt like it, if he was to blame, blame for it, I guess. And yeah, as as the listeners at home, um, they know that um, testicle cancer is considered hereditary. Um, so dad sort of like putting the blame on himself for passing that down to, to me. And by no means did I want him to to carry that added stress or the concern that it was his fault I had no one to blame and yeah not once did I really have a negative negative attitude towards the diagnosis so I was just keen to beat it and just wanted everyone to to support me along the way and was pretty fortunate that obviously my family and my close friends and my lovely wife Maddie and a few of my work colleagues were were um there by my side for every step of the way and you went through obviously your chemotherapy 
and came out the other side. Yeah, so due to the physical size of the cancer they found, it was recommended that I went through chemotherapy. I didn't have to go through it, um, but I did go through a pretty large dose of chemo. And that was probably the only thing I was really like nervous about because like you sort of depict that standard like hair loss and you're sort of just like thinking of people sort of a lot older than you that go through it and and how like they sort of look pretty sick and frail and that's sort of like what stuck through in my head so that was probably the only thing that I was sort of nervous or scared about was was going through the chemotherapy and yeah I mean there were some crazy days probably a good seven to ten days post chemotherapy that sort of was scary but um once you sort of got through the other side um and sort of got those post chemotherapy scan results and you had those follow-up ct scans and um blood tests and stuff like that and you sort of started to see the markers cancer markers come down and get some positive news that the cancer had not spread any further and obviously to two years post diagnosis um you always sort of have that little pain in your stomach leading into your um, follow-up blood tests and scans. Um, but, yeah, I was really fortunate to have a group of people around me. And, yeah, it was just actually being a Raw Talk Project fanatic I am. It was just great to listen to, yeah, both Craig and um, obviously Campo with his story. Um, and I can sort of, sort of really align my thought process to, to both of them and their setbacks in their life. Definitely. And I'm sure so many people can align their thought processes as well to your story today, because what you have gone through is so inspiring. Again, just like the rest of us, you're only human. You have an everyday job. You have a beautiful wife. You have a, an exciting future to look forward to. Would you like to explain, I guess, what your future goals and plans are over the, the next two to three years? Yeah, Um I like how you always ask people these um, questions and put them on the spot. I could have could have had a little bit of a dedicated thought to it. Yeah, I think still continuing down the teaching path um, is something that I'm really passionate about and would really love to still continue to involve myself in the rugby league space, whether that be at a Mackay Cutters HBC level or a younger team or even a school team. Um, that's sort of where I see my passion and it sort of is my driving force on a day-by-day -day basis. Exciting times ahead for you. I cannot wait to see what the future holds and being there with you by your side as well. It's going to be one wild ride and I'm ready and strapped in to, to join you. If you could tell your younger self one thing, what would it be? Probably study for your um, maths exams or your exams at school a week or two earlier rather than the night before. Yeah, that would probably be my advice for my younger self would be put the effort in um, for a long term rather than just a short term and you see the benefits with that. And I guess that probably just doesn't apply to you on a on a studying level or an educational front. That's that's anything in life. If you put the wholehearted effort in for a long duration of time, you're going to see the benefits for that. Um, and that's something I, I try and get across to my students is that you will see benefits of success or you will see success or achieve your goal if you put effort in for a long period of time, not effort in for a short period of time. Look, thank you so much for joining me for another episode on the Raw Talk Project. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your journey and your experience in the 31 years of your life. I honestly look up to you. I don't, I'm not just saying that just because you're my older brother, but the things that you have dealt with in your life is not what all of us deal with. Um, and I really hope that 
for the people listening out there, they can relate and can really have that compassion towards the setbacks that you have had and the positive attitude that you've also had to keep stepping forward and continue on, I guess, this amazing journey you call life. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me um, on the Raw Talk project and I guess a closing closing quote from myself um, before we wrap things up would be that I hope that a few people are listening to this podcast and if I can help one person out from our chat today then I feel as if I, I've done my part and that's one thing I definitely pride myself on and by no means do I see myself as a champion or the world's toughest man but I definitely think conversation um, about your journey, about your experiences. And I guess that's what you um, have created here, Ains, with the Rural Talk Project. And if anyone ever needs to chat, please send the page, Rural Talk Project, a message. And uh, Ains, I'm happy for you to, to pass my number on. And I think chatting about these struggles and the journeys and, and how you get back up and keep going is, is definitely important for everyone in today's day and age. <laughs>